Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's in Your Head podcast. Digitized live from the your company name here studios in Cape Coral, Florida. It's the What's in Your Head podcast. What's up? What's up? What's up? OG5. We just went live, and for some reason, I'm going to pop-ups. No, I don't want to exit. So what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Another day, another year. Still having the same technical difficulties, but hey, that's what happens when you're a one-armed bandit doing everything in the behind the scenes by yourself with two computers, two keyboards, two mice, and 14 monitors. Anyhow, join us again from across the river over in the deep, deep depths of Fort Myers, Florida. Mr. Mike, how you doing tonight, Mike? Oh, it's another wonderful Wednesday, buddy. How are you? Your mic's uh, splattering just a little bit there, fella. I don't know if just you a little bit? Turn it, turn it cut it down? But yeah, I'm good. And joining us from parts unknown, because every time you see him on TikTok, he's in a new place. You may know him as Social Outcast on TikTok, but we know him as Adam. Returning to the show, it's been a while. What's going on, Adam? Not much, man. Um, I'm actually in Missouri. That's home base now when I'm not traveling, so... Thing, things are good. Changed quite a bit since last time I was here. You were in Kentucky for a while, right? For- uh, yeah, so we travel. Um, I do a couple different regions with the MLF. So I'm either in Missouri, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Illinois, um, and that can all change next season depending on how many regions I decide to do. It could be nationwide. What parts of Kentucky were you in? Um, Paducah, Kentucky, and Calvert, Kentucky. I think I've heard of Paducah, but not Calvert. Is that more far western Kentucky? No. Um, so Paducah and Calvert City are about 45 minutes from each other. So what it is, um, the MLF Illinois division is now out of Kentucky because they had issues with the Corps of Engineers in Illinois. So it's the Ohio River, Kentucky Lake, and Barkley Lake are the three main lakes the MLF does in Kentucky. For our casual listeners who aren't into the topic at hand... What is the definition of the MLF? Uh, Major League Fishing. It's professional fishing on different levels. They have uh, the Phoenix Series, which I just came into this season. Then they have the Toyota Series and the Elite Series. You can't get any higher than that, basically. How long have you been rolling around in that league? Um, It's only been the last half of the season, um, and I tripped into it accidentally. I was invited to do a tournament, and... I just ran with it. Nice. I, I figured if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it to my potential and make some money doing it. That's everybody's dream. You know, around here, occasionally, locally, we'll see like little bass tournaments put on. You'll, you won't know about it. You'll just show up at the boat ramp, go kayak fishing, and there's like 13 boat <laughs> trailers in a <laughs> boat ramp that usually has one, maybe, because these aren't like huge lakes. But um, I mean, that's... Mike and I have talked about toying around, maybe downloading the what was it, the X app before TikTok, before Twitter changed their name, or uh, Tournament X or something like that. Yeah, yes, yeah. and uh, sign up for those. <laughs> but the reason we had you on is you were uh, talking about kind of a <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd probably call it another goddamn nightmare. But you had an interesting <laughs> day on the water this weekend. So break this down a little bit, and as you go through it, we'll we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into it because. I don't know. I would have just lost my goddamn mind, but I'll oh, let yeah. you tell a story. Go it, ahead. It, it's very frustrating. So to give you the full picture, um, 
in both regions, I fish differently. In the Kentucky division, I fish as a co-angler. In the Ozark division, I fish as a boater. As a boater, you control everything, where you go, everything else, and the co-angler just basically follows you and tries to catch fish. They have no real options, nothing. It's You're just there really to hard. help bring up the overall rating for the boat weight-wise? Basically, yeah, but it's not a team event. Each one is individual. Oh, okay. So, and it co- as a co-angler, it costs you just as much as the boater to get in and do the same competition everything else. It's a little um, odd. Yeah. But so as a co-angler, you know, you run into a lot of great boaters, a lot of guys that try and make it to where you can be successful, everything else, and it works out. But occasionally with any sport. No, hold on. Sorry to pause you. When you go in, just because I've, I've never participated or without other than seeing on TV or occasional video, I, I really don't know the first thing about it. When you're a co-angler, you go into the tournament with a captain or they just put you with somebody around Robin? They, they ra- randomly pair you. Okay. So like me and my buddy Tim, um, we decided I could be a boater in both, but we both wanted to get the well-rounded experience before we try and move up to the next level. So he's the boater in the Kentucky region, and I'm the boater in the Ozarks region. Um, and it, it's just it's tough being a co-angler. You know, it, it gets you more skill in tight spots and, and just makes you better all the way around because you have to strive for it. You know what I mean? Well, not only that, but I mean, you're being partnered up with someone you've never fished with before. 100%. You don't know yeah. their quirks. You don't know if they like to do a lot of backhand casting. You don't know if they lose their shit quickly. <laughs> uh, exactly. You don't yeah. know anything yep. about it. And it, do- it, it doesn't make sense that you guys would have to pay the same amount unless they're trying to appease the guy with the boat. Because maybe he's saying, well, I'm here, I'm paying this, but I'm also paying for gas for my boat. I'm taking the liability at the insurance. So I guess maybe they make the captains feel a little bit better about the level playing field when it comes to the uh, entry fee. Um, Not necessarily. So there's a little difference between co-angler and boater, but not much. Um, And it's completely separate. So even though we're stuck on the same boat, he's competing in one category, I'm competing in another. They just, as a co-angler, stick you on a boater's boat because they won't let anybody fish individually keep the numbers down um not necessarily the numbers down it keeps everybody honest because as with any sport you know there's people in the past who have cheated stuff like that if they randomly pair you that's a good point because if you're a co-angler and you get put on a boat that guy's not going to drive you over to where he hit his bass box last night and shove the you know 10 pound bass into it because you're like oh what the fuck (laughs) exactly exactly and when there's you know 10 20 30 thousand dollars on the line you got to find a way to keep people honest and, you know, as a co-angler, you find some of the boaters, like I said, they'll go out of their way to make it to where both of you can be successful. And then you just have those assholes that will sandbag you the entire tournament, get pissed because you catch fish, will just make it as inconvenient as possible, like you're paying to be there to learn something and you're an amateur. But you're it's almost so- like, a, you're kind of like ballast to them. Like, okay, he has to be here. I don't have a choice in this matter. And now... I got six, maybe eight more poles on my boat. I got to worry about all his crap. Yeah, I could see where the both sides could have their complaints. Yeah. But with that being said, if you have somebody who's on your boat, even a complete stranger, if they're having a good time or positive attitude, that's going to increase your attitude and your good time. But on the bad side, if 
dude on strange dude on your boat the old lady was giving him grief for going to the tournament or he's having a bad morning he can bring you down so it's it's going to go either way oh yeah yeah well and then in a way too like if an angler's having a rough day fishing and by chance the co-angler's picking up all the slack where he's missed the spot he was supposed to drop his lure by two feet and the co-angler follows up and pulls out a five pounder he's pissed about it <laughs> you know that it, happen. Yeah, and that happens all the time, and that's what happened to me over the weekend. They paired me with the kid, you know, other than the day. I'm sure he's a great kid. You know, I won't mention any names, but right off the bat, I could tell that it was going to be a rough day. Kid's 25 years old, driving a $70,000 boat. It was obviously his father's, no big deal. Be fair, it could have been his grandfather's. (laughs) True, very true, very true. But uh, and you you talk to your your uh, boater the night before, and they're supposed to let you know you, what you're doing that day, so you can prepare. Because there's a big difference in the lures you bring, whether you're flipping docks or you're fishing sixty feet down. In oh, that's right, because he's making the itinerary. <laughs> he's the one who went out and pre-fished the area, figured out where things are hitting. Oh, over here at mile marker twenty three on the third dock end from the left, there's a school of fish. Exactly. Or we're going to exactly. fish these lily pads half the morning, and then maybe go over here to where this hydrilla is not so bad underneath these trees. So you exactly. may not be flipping rooster tails under trees, but if you're out in the middle, maybe you are. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, like, Tim and I, we team up for every event, and we pre-fish for two days. We'll fish everything, whether it's docks, deep water. We'll see exactly what they're biting on, so we're kind of well-rounded and know what we're getting into for the next day. And, uh, you know, the kid was just like, you know, I, I don't worry about it. I know all these spots. I've got it under control. This is my home lake. That was the oh, first boy. breath. Yeah, because an old old bastard like us is going to have seen some things, been around. They know to be humble. But like, yo, I'm pretty good at this area. But if you know a few spots, if you want to point them out, you know, maybe if my places aren't pulling through. But, yeah, you, you get that person who just – his shit don't stink and they're young because it's always young cats, high testosterone, very little life experience. Well, and he was from a completely different division, different league, and just joined up that one super tournament for the money because it was double the money. It was a two day event. Gotcha. So we get to the first spot. It's a dam area. Not bad. You know, he, he positions himself to where he can be successful first. Cool. He catches a fish. And right when I go to cast where I'm going to be successful, He's like, all right, let's go. Drops oh. down, the motor up, we go. We get to the next spot. Now, now, mind you, to paint the entire picture, none of us boaters or anglers from the MLF knew it until the night before when we had our, our meeting. There was three other tournaments oh. scheduled for that same morning. The Big Bass Bash, which was over 1,700 registered bass boats. <laughs> the college tournament which was another 200 boats and a high school tournament, which was 200 boats as well. So there's 1700 boats plus out there before us an hour ahead. And how many people are in your tournament? Uh, there was 84 pros and then we, they all had co-anglers. And how big is this body of water? <laughs> You're talking maybe 20 square miles. And you're all using it, the same boat ramp, same parking wow. lot. So they all launched at complete different ends, but so now everybody was set to launch at 7 a.m. on Saturday. Hold on. Let let me pause real quick. Organizers, particularly (laughs) organizers of an event that has an entry fee. 
simple economic states, the more people you have participating in your event where they're paying an entry <laughs> fee, the more money you make, plus the more money that possibly the overall prize would be. 100%. And I run this with World War II reenactments. It's a very small community, especially here in the southern area of Florida. I don't get when people are planning to schedule an event where they don't go onto Facebook or a few of the bigger name events, websites. Let's just see if anybody else has already have an event scheduled for this date we're looking at. Because A, we don't want to be at the same place, same time. But B, we don't want to lose participants because they're participating and giving their money to somebody else. (laughs) The fact that four organizations scheduled on the same lake, and I'm assuming, once again, I don't know, I'm pulling on my ass. I'm assuming they probably had to at least send a memo to the fish and wildlife of that area and saying, hey, we're going to have 1,800 people out on your body of water this weekend if you want to have a couple of crafts floating around. Wouldn't the, they say, hey, by the way, you're the third group that's wanted to do this on this day. No one got a right. heads up. Uh, to me, it's insane. It's like, how does no one get a heads up? Well, and, and that's the thing with the MLF. They run such a tight schedule because they try and organize six different regions and that one specific tournament, it couldn't be moved to the weekend after because the weekend after was another tournament. And then but the guy who organized after, the college fishing event, he could have quickly exactly. done a, so, a quick Google so the search. Kicker to all of that, so the kicker to all of that, that, 100%, instead of rescheduling for another day, both other tournaments decided to change the time and release their people an hour ahead of us, 6 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. <laughs> nice. So the whole time we're out there, Every spot we pull up on, with the exception of a couple, because they were just sand beaches, that was all the option left, uh, it, it was picking up slop after other people. All the big fish had been targeted, and if they were smaller than the big fish they had, even if they were keepers, they'd already been caught. So the fish weren't exactly into biting something. Nope. It, it was a rough day. We started at 7. It continues on as a complete shit show till probably about 2 o'clock. Well, let's not even, let's not even talk water noise it's one thing when you got 1800 boats out there running but when you have that many people running that's a lot of noise it had to be complete chaos out there oh it was it was there was not one spot you couldn't go to that had either already been picked through or you passed three people going in coming from it or the guy sitting there giving you the stink eye because hey fucker i was here first you're poaching (laughs) my spot yeah, two days of pre-fishing out on the lake was for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, long story short, I get on a good smallmouth. It's probably about four and a half, five pounds. I'm on the back deck. I yell net. I drop down into the seat to go and bring him in. The kid grabs the net. He looks down at the fish and just jabs it with the fucking net in the mouth. Fish comes off, swims away. At that point... I'm older, so I composed myself. I wanted to throw his ass off in the water and leave without him and finish my day on his boat. That's that's, that's fighting shit when money's on the line. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, but the, we continued on. Not only that, but let's, regardless of what your personal opinions are about the fish you catch, most anglers try to pretend at least to give a shit. You know, <laughs> when you're taking just jamming it, it's like, come on. What the hell? Well, so that's the thing. The MLF is an amazing organization. They do the best they can with everything, with rules, regulations. They run a very tight ship. 
But sometimes there's just those cocky assholes or greedy people that don't want anybody else to have success if they can't. Yeah, well, you see that across the board. Yeah, whether you're a YouTube creator, an Instagram model, a podcast host, anybody who's doing something similar that you are but more successful at it, it shames them. And so instead of them propping you up, they're just like, I'm going to do everything I can to tear them down. It's weird. Right. You see that in everything. Oh, yeah. Well, and then, and that's the thing, too, because me and my buddy Tim, we both do things as a co angler and as a boater. And so, as a couple. And what's weird when you come in, <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You know, we might as well be. We travel enough together. I've spent more time with him this last month than my old lady. I'd probably argue less. So. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, when you go into a tournament as a boater, it's like you're you're one of the guys. If you're a co-angler and try and talk to him, it's almost like you're not in the cool kids club. It, mm. It's kind of yeah. You're you're the uh, yeah the you're, redheaded stepchild. Well, at least, well, that's even worse for redheaded stepchild because then they just replace you in in movies nowadays. But <laughs> 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 um, well, yeah, it's just like you're the new guy in the construction site. So yep. Here's this person. Who the hell is he? I mean, it's one thing if you've been a co-angler in that division and, you know, these guys have maybe had you on their boat once or twice, but when you're just completely new to the scene or, as you're saying, he was in a completely different division, but uh, it has to be painful. But even then, I'll I'll go as far as to say people, because I've met amazing people who've been co-anglers for a very long time, and that's a big problem that most people don't speak up about or it's just talked about not quietly, but amongst us because no one else really gives a shit. Well, I'm sure there's been many conversations like, oh, Adam, who'd you pull? I got so-and-so. And everybody's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, you oh, know. you got Big Steve. He smells like onions around noon, man. He just, he doesn't wear deodorant. <laughs> He's fucking. <laughs> oh, God. The, the league that you fish in, is it total weight or is it the uh, five- five fish limit what what uh five five fish limit uh okay. biggest weight yeah okay yeah so um and it varies from lake to lake like yeah. you can go to the ohio river and a keeper is a spotted bass at 12 inches or like lake of the ozarks you have to have a 15 inch yeah yeah different rules for different areas that kind of thing yeah yeah gotcha so and you know i i've i do not regret coming in and throwing myself completely to the wolves at the end of the season I learned more about myself in the sport in the last three months than I have in 10 years. And it's going to make me successful next season. Cause that's what this really was, was coming in, feeling out the last half of the season, knowing what I have to work on until February and then coming in and mopping the floor with all these guys who are just cocky as shit. A couple of things. One, the other benefit of whether you're the angler or the co-angler particularly if you're with somebody who maybe has been doing along on you, you might pick up some tips that they're not even audibly given. If you're, if your perception is there and you're watching what they're doing, you only have to ask, not to explain things. Oh, that's how, oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's the way you do it. Yep. Yep. And you learn a lot. You do. I get, I get the point where people get annoyed when someone else is catching and you're not, because I mean, there's been times where me carrying Mike around, we're not in tournaments. It's just like, 
fucking Mike's caught five. I've caught nothing. <laughs> and he catches no. <laughs> sure, there he goes again. Or Carrie does that's, it to me. Well, that's that's the thing is like I stay pretty consistent. My confidence bait is a Texas rig on with a with a a, uh, a worm on the end of it. I just I throw that all the time. I suffer that, from bait that, that ADD. Catches fish for me. I suffer from uh, bait ADD. I switch and poles every five minutes. You <laughs> you and Ron, dude. You and Ron both are like that. It's like constant switching things up, but. But here's yeah. the thing: yeah, if I catch if I catch four dinks on a worm, I'm like, okay, fuck this. I want something bigger. And then I know from my experience, <laughs> my eight pound, my five pounds, my six pounds, I've caught those all on either chatterbaits or topwater. It's like, okay, yeah, I can flip a worm, and I know I'm probably going to catch four or five dinks, but I don't want a fucking dink. I want something two pounds over. And in my experience, I tend to catch those larger fish on something other than worms. I did catch the four pounder on a on a walmart june bug whiptail worm but most of the other big ones i've caught have been on hard baits yeah well i i will say this coming from the level that i come at <laughs> That's a what she worm said. will catch you a dink or it'll catch you a 12 pounder yeah. a worm is the universal sign for catching bass. that's because that 12 pounder is going after the dink and your worm just got in the way <laughs> hey you know what if that adds another couple pounds, let them eat it. Fuck That's it. how I got the four-pounder. That's how I caught my first large fish. Me and my daughter were on our tandem kayak heading back to the um, boat dock, and we saw I saw fruit, uh, feeding frenzy on the seawall. Tossed my worm over there, pulled in a four-and-a-half-pound fish. It was the first large fish I'd ever caught. and it was, That was exactly it. It was trying to feed on the other ones, and that's what you want. Oh yeah. Well, and then too, you got to keep in mind, like there's so many variables between water temperature, mm -hmm. depth, shade, you know, cover for them to hide on stuff like that. And bass are, 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 are one of the most finicky fish when it oh, comes yeah. to they're, they're every little detail. If, you know, anything, anything, if the temperature's wrong, if the barometric pressure is wrong, you know, it just, they're either fired up or they're not. Well, and, right. and to that point, my, this YouTube channel we're broadcasting on, my fishing videos have dropped off immensely over the last three months. And it's not because I haven't gone out fishing. It's because I'm lucky enough to live in a city that is has over 500 miles worth of canals. The downside are the canals average a depth of five feet. And so when it's 95 degrees outside all day long. Your water temperature is 92 and the water's five feet. Oh, and by the way, the city of Cape Coral sent somebody out there with a fucking weed eater and chopped out all the lily pads. The bass aren't biting. They're hiding. Um, I, I don't know, man. Throw, I'm telling you, you hate doing it. And drag a worm. You'll catch them. <laughs> I, I do. Dry, I, I, I always start with the worm. I start with the worm, and then I, I move on. I mean, trust me. I am the king of ADD. I will throw every power fishing bait I can before I determine that I have to throw a worm because I want to catch fish. Yeah. I See, I start with the worm because I'm like, okay, let's just get the skunk out of the boat. I'll catch a dink. I'll feel good about myself. Then we'll move on. But so, I don't know. I finally caught my first two fish in the last two months or the last two weeks, but we'll get that here in a, to that in a minute. With the amount of boats at this lake, obviously you didn't know this in real time, but <clears throat> I don't know if you checked on the on any related websites or social media pages since then, has there been any discussion of the overall winning weights were kind of lower than they normally are because as you were saying earlier all the big fish have been picked through by the time you guys got released 100 percent. the winning uh the winning boater was just over 14 pounds and that's out of five and fish that's 14 divided by five five fish yeah and then you got to think oh. rich weight i think it was right about 20 total 
which that's not bad, but it should have been so much better. Like it's a yeah. huge smallmouth lake. You can pull good smallmouth, largemouth, everything all day long. It was just so overfished and competitive that day on every level that if we didn't start at six a.m. when they did, it was it was rough going the whole day. That's just and they they don't they don't shut the lake down or anything like that when you guys come in and do your tour. Oh no! So the public's out there on top of all those people. So so not only do you have all three or four of those tournaments going on, you but you also have every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there every weekend fisherman on 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 his you know nineteen ninety three Stratus, you know trying to pull them out too. So you and I'll tell you this. There's nothing more annoying than pre-fishing one spot that's about 50 feet off the shore with a nice big brush pile. No one even looks at it the whole time you're there both days. You show up tournament day and there's some old guy with a fucking John boat sitting there digging his bowl. Like it's the most annoying thing in the world. While he has his portable grill preheating on the front bench, getting ready to make some wieners. Uh, Only thing worse than that would be the pontoon boat with the full family and the grill and the dog. Oh, those guys. And they... Yeah, I'm not even going to touch that. But yeah, you, you hit the nose on the head right there. Lake of the Ozarks is either million-dollar speedboats that create four-foot wakes that you have to drift through all day while you're fishing or pontoon boats that do the same thing. Well, here in yeah. Cape Coral with our four-foot deep canals at the deepest, a lot of times I'm with the high drill and my fish finder's <laughs> coming in at like seven inches. <laughs> all these canals are no wake. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. We have guys on Yamaha Wave Runner 5s, four-stroke, just out there, just laying into it in two feet of water. That's like you're making waves in a bathtub. There's nowhere. So it's just your boom, 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 boom. And I get it. You want to ride your Wave Runner, but what they're doing is the equivalent of taking a, a JX, a Jixer or a Ninja out to the mall parking lot and then driving in circles for two hours. I, I don't get it. It's like, why wouldn't you take it out to the river or to the fucking ocean? But right. no, they just pull donuts in these canals and your boat's just like, Ugh. sloshing everywhere. It's like, well, there goes the fish. <laughs> well, and, and that's the worst thing out here too at Lake of the Ozarks. You'll see these pleasure boaters or the, you know, the big pontoon boats. And you know, directly behind them is four or five guys on sea dues because they want to jump their wakes. Mm-hmm. So you have to go from like 70 miles an hour to 50 just to skip across the top and hope you can get through it without breaking the hull of your boat. It's, it's a nightmare. Well, when we, when Mike, Mike was with me the day I caught the eight pound bass out, he's the one who says, holy shit in the video. Um, <laughs> cause me, him and Ron went up to Lake Okeechobee. And where their boat dock is, they basically have like, I don't know, it's basically like the equivalent of two, maybe three quarter mile tracks for a drag racer. And okay. and it's just tree line. And they just yeah. open those fucking bass boats up. It's like watching a water drag. And we're out there in kayaks. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's really cool, actually. Yeah, they, it's cool as hell. I've never seen one open up like that before. But you just see six of them going straight down this three-mile straightaway. It's like, holy hell, I mean, those I, things are fast. I've, I've seen stuff like that in North Carolina. I mean, you know, dude just puts his boat in, hops on, and just hauls ass, you know, out of the – you know, away from the ramp. But – I mean, this was like a damn drag strip watching was, them, watching them guys crazy. You know, the two fifty XSs and shit, double rooster tails, miles an hour out there. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got some footage. I haven't edited, so I've got three weekends worth of footage to edit. But the Lake of the Ozarks tournament, the one before Kentucky, you know those perfect moments where everything just comes together and it's almost surreal. Yep. I got called at boat number thirty three off the launch. There was over two hundred boats for us there that day, and 
at the lake, when you come out of PB2, you can go left or right. Everybody was going left, and it's a three-way split on which way you can go. Everybody went right at the top. I went left, and it was just glass. There nice. was not one ripple oh. in the water. There was not one thing. I trimmed up, put the throttle as far as it would go, and I actually passed my destination by about three miles. <laughs> oh, shit. But it, it was one of those moments where it was just too good to stop. Now, it's just it's all motor. All yeah, motor. Oh, yeah. There's no boat in the water there. <laughs> now, for the Kentucky tournament, how how did you finish? What did you catch anything? Were you able to, to bag anything, or did he just keep no, tricking I, you? I didn't. I didn't weigh anything. Um, and even him, he weighed three fish for five pounds. He didn't make it to day two. Um, there was a lot of us that just didn't. Even my buddy Tim, who I go and pre fish with, he's got a great record. He's been top ten the last three years. He's Seventeenth uh, place in the Ozarks division right now, and goes to the finals next week. And even he had a rough time. They, anything you pre-fished was not there when we got on the water. That's insane. Cause it just ran over. I mean, yeah. that's oh, the yeah. equivalent of like, hey, we're going to go walk these woods um, on Friday and maybe Saturday morning, and then hunting season it cracks open at nine a.m. Monday uh, Sunday morning. And so you, you go and you do the planning. You kind of see where the, the signs are in the trees, maybe some scat, some bedding area. And then you show up on Sunday, and there's 300 people out there. It's like, yeah, that was a waste of time. <laughs> Should have slept in. Right. Because, yeah. I, I saw a video on TikTok. I don't know where it was. I think it was New Jersey. And it was opening day of uh, duck hunting season. And a guy just has his camera and it look it literally looks like he signed up for a ten, like a costume 10k where everybody's dressed up like hunters literally there's just hundreds of people walking onto public land yeah and like yeah this oh, is yeah. the downside of duck hunting in new jersey on public land it literally looked like a, a fucking five or 10k worth of runners behind him everybody just wearing hunting gear it's like holy shit surprised somebody doesn't get shot on accident it's insane craziness but do you do you have plans to you know possibly bump up to like the bass pro tour or 100 percent uh the phoenix division is just a stepping stone yeah once i get my bearings this season and depending how this season goes this might be my only season in the phoenix series okay um you know i i don't want to jump up that to that level until i'm physically ready i know i can fish at that level but i feel like i can take a season and learn a lot more especially about the electronics um, mm-hmm. and, and make it work more to my advantage. Now, gotcha. did you like you, you know, I've known each other for quite a while. I've seen a lot of your content. It's usually you on a bank under in the Ozarks under a bridge somewhere. All of a sudden, and you're on a kayak and now you're on a goddamn bass boat. Where did that transition go? Where you <laughs> went from being a bank fisherman to a kayak fisherman for a day and a half. <laughs> I'm going to upgrade my lifetime Teton from 1998. Now you got a goddamn bass boat and you're fishing. Where did the bass boat come from? Um, well, you know, my, again, my buddy, Tim is kind of to blame for this. Um, like I said, we were supposed to fish tournaments and it just didn't pan out. And I was like, you know, I want to get a bass boat. So I looked on the internet and I traded my Harley for uh hear a that 96. Mike? Huh? So did you hear that, Mike? We need a bass boat. You got a bike. Make it happen. Right. Hey, man, yeah. I got a center console sitting out there. Don't you worry about me. <laughs> but yeah, I traded I my Harley we. for uh, a 96 uh, Nitro Z17 dual console. It's nothing super fancy, but it's not a pile of crap. It's got a decent motor on the back, and 
you know, I don't have to have the 21 footer with the 250 on the back. I don't have to have all the electronics. I spent 40 years learning how to read the water and have common sense where 90% yeah. of the people fishing today, if you took away their electronics, they'd be lost. You're the fishing yeah. equivalent of the, Hey fuckers, I still use iron sights. You and your red dots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know how to drive a six speed. That's the best anti-theft nowadays. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? But yeah. It, it, it took a very large leap. I always knew that that's where I was going to end up. I didn't mean for it to happen so fast, but you know, when you just choose to go for something, you go for it. Yeah. Carrie and I've been, you know, we want to get a boat. We'll probably start out with a bash track or something affordable or, you know, or hit up the used boat market. The only thing problem with the used boat market, especially if you don't know the previous owners, you don't know the honesty about the hours on the motor and everything else. Very true. But for the fishing you guys will probably be doing, if I can give you any advice, do not get a bass tracker. You'll want to trade it in in less than a year. Yeah. Um, find yourself uh, mid-90s to mid-2000s, excuse me, like a Ranger, a Nitro, something has like a 175 or 200 on the back of it. You'll probably pay eight, 10 grand. It'll look new and it, it'll suit you guys better because once you get a boat, you'll kind of grow into it. Now, yeah. is it true that the more flake the paint has, the faster it goes? 100%. And it guarantees you a five pound. 50%. Absolutely. <laughs> Every flake is five horsepower. That's right. I don't know. I mean, they're not as bad now, but you still see them like, yeah, they're still going with the flake and the paint. <laughs> oh no! When you MLF tournament day, you can stand up while they're doing the national anthem and look out on the water, and it's nothing but sparkle. It's and it's not ridiculous. even the water; it's just a flake of the paint. <laughs> funny, funny enough, I had a 1993 Stroker. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but yep. 21 foot, 96 inch beam, it all had, flake. <laughs> it, well, no, I bought this boat for a thousand bucks from a buddy of mine. Wow, motor was blown. Spent another grand rebuilding the motor, took it out on the lake, tested it, everything like that. It was painted white, and they took, like, <coughs> tape, and they made, like, you know, the stripes and everything on the side and whatever, you know. That's a good look. <laughs> and and I was like, man, this just, it doesn't look right. It looked too thick. It didn't look like, you know, gel coat or anything like that. So I took some oven cleaner, and I started spraying it on there. I'll be damned if that damn sparkle paint wasn't underneath of it. And I found out. Later on, they plasti dipped uh, it. What's that? They plasti dipped the boat. They painted it in house paint. There you go, <laughs> like literal house paint. It wasn't even latex paint. It was just how just irregular interior paint. Honey, get the so roller. We're painting the boat. Yeah, yeah. So I I stripped all that off with some oven cleaner. Got down to the sparkle paint. And I found out that later on, I guess a couple of years before he bought it and before I bought it from him. The guy got into an accident. Somebody T-boned him and ruined the hull. So he half-assed patched it with fiberglass, painted over the whole boat to make it, like, thickened up the paint. You know, it was probably an eighth of an inch of paint on top of what was already there. And so it's Bondo, up, but paint. Yeah. And... <laughs> But I mean, I had some, I had some fun on that boat. I mean, for it only had a one fifty on it, but it still get up and move a little bit. Oh yeah, so, yeah. But yeah. That that was uh, one hell of a piece of shit that I bought. <laughs> <laughs> so, you have any tournaments you know, coming down the line? 
Um, so my MLF series is done for the season on October 15th. The BWS starts for me. That's the Bass World Association. Um, that's based out of Lake of the Ozarks. Um, they're a relatively large minor league organization, but over the winter, that'll keep me busy, keep me sharp on my skills. Um, and I'll get to tune in everything on the boat that I haven't yet this season. Um, I'll get to know the electronics a little bit better. Um, and just keep my skills sharp. Plus the season starts February 17th. Fishing all winter is just going to prepare me for that opener. Cause it's going to be cold as hell then too. Yeah. Yeah. See living out here, it's just so weird. Cause like right now it's like, I can't wait for it to get winter time where it's 82 every day. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's just so damn hot right now. And they're not they're, I mean, they're not, they're not biting. I mean, 92 degree water. They're, they're, they're sluggish, ruggish bone at the best. And it's just right. like, I'm just waiting for the cooler temperatures to come back. But then I bitch because it's in the wintertime, it gets dark dark around 7, whereas in the summer, it's dark at 9. So it's like a give and take. But it's like, right now, I'm just over the goddamn heat. I mean, it's so hot. I'm not proud to say that I own Crocs. But I will say that I only wear Crocs when I'm fishing. Because when I first started kayak fishing, I wore flip-flops. And when you wear flip-flops on a boat ramp, the heel tends to slide out from underneath your foot. Yep. And then you almost break your ankle. But it's so damn hot that when I'm on my kayak and my Crocs are behind me, they get warped from the sun. The Crocs <laughs> actually shrink from being in direct heat. Dude. And so mine are all, it's just like, it's just so damn hot. It's like, come on. And yeah, so, but I will say this. When it's freaking three and five degrees here and you guys are sitting there in 70 degrees sunny Florida. Damn right. <laughs> you're going to be thankful for but that. But we have we have to pay for that with things like hurricanes. But yes, I, and I alligators. You, By I the way, this much. Yeah, I I was going to say I could tell you this much. I do miss some of those cold mornings about six a.m. getting out on like Lake Chattoog or Lake Hiawassee and just freezing your ass off in January, February. But you're going out to catch fish. You can't tire oh, yeah. out because well, your hands right, are shaking. <laughs> yeah, right now it's it's perfect because. It's just chilly enough at night in the mid-60s to where in the morning you get on the water right as the sun's coming up. It's all foggy and, and perfect top water weather. It's, it's beautiful yeah. out here right now. Yeah. And actually, it's really hot for this late in the season. I mean, it's October, basically, and the water temperature is still almost 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. But see, when you live in Florida and you fish in tournaments in Florida, you have the added benefit of the possibility of your large catch being consumed by a fucking alligator when you're reeling it in. Which, by the way, Mike, did you hear they have found alligators in southern Tennessee? That's how far they made it? Really? Yes. They, they've they had them in Georgia, in southern Georgia, clearly now northern Georgia. They are now seeing finding gators in the freshwater of southern Tennessee. And they say in the wintertime, they just basically poke their nose above the water lines. And when it freezes over, yep. they can still Great. breathe. But yes. So people in Tennessee and wow. southern Tennessee on the border, you guys are no longer safe from alligators. Those fuckers are going to eventually work their way to Kentucky. They're they're well on their way. If they're in southern Tennessee, they're not too far because Tennessee's long and skinny. But yeah, well, wow. up Kentucky though, it's got to go through a few dams. They wouldn't make it through though. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm from North, I I grew up on the Ohio River. George okay. Carlin used to have a joke talking about how no one in his neighborhood had polio because they swam in the Hudson River. They were tempered in raw sewage. Well, I was born in '78. <laughs> And so from 1978 to about 1983, we swam in the Ohio River. So as a young youth, and then when I would live with my mom during the summertime, depending on if we were staying in my grandmother's trailer with had a cistern, 
electricity and indoor plumbing, we were cool. But if we were down in the cabin that was built in the 20s with just electricity, that meant we were shitting in an outhouse and bathing the Ohio River, which I give me and my brother give credit to our longevity and our strength through COVID because we have immune systems like trapdoors. We too were tempered in raw sewage. So I'm, I'm very familiar with yeah the Kentucky area, but. Have I, you have you heard or seen much of the shape of the Ohio River nowadays? Um, my grandmother sold that property about ten years ago. But the cool thing is, she sold it to the the kid who grew up next door to my cousin, so it's kind of in the family. Um, and my mom lives in Warsaw, down on the river. I haven't stuck my toes in it, but I've seen like the uh, shoreline and all that. It let's be honest, it was never really the most beautiful river, at least around that area of Kentucky nightmare story uh eighth grade my mom's boyfriend rented a pontoon boat and we were going down uh the ohio river from around boone county big bone lick to where rising sun indiana where they put the um the casino in about 15 years ago saw a little stick sticking up didn't think anything about it went over it the whole damn motor kicked up it was a complete submerged tree (laughs) I mean, I grew up on boats. I grew up on boats in Ohio, so we were always on Deer Creek, Allen Creek. My dad had pontoon boats. We've hit the occasional branch, but this is the fr- – and so I was by no means a newcomer to pontoon boats. I've spent many uh, – probably three or four seasons on them at this point. It was scary. I saw the entire back of the pontoon boat. It was a literally a complete submerged tree just going down the going down the damn current. It was crazy. Yeah, it's it's – a hot mess still now it's deeper in the center channel but it's four to six feet deep and the bass population is almost next to nothing wow it's there's millions and millions of asian carp everywhere you can go down a back canal there and your fish find roll reed there's a million fish there but it's nothing but carp you're, you can hear them hitting the hull of your boat as you're just trolling through there wow. when you're when you're reeling your line through the water you feel all the tugs that's just your line and your your lure bouncing off Asian cart. It's so horrible up there. Wow. Carrie and I were out, and this guy was on a uh, John boat. And he, I, I, it's on my YouTube channel. He pulled in a 35-pound grass carp off of a little circle hook and a piece of bread. Thing was oh, yeah. freaking huge. So yeah, I, I, I think on my TikTok I have a video. We I found it was almost a 45-pound grass carp at Tonka State Park here in Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah, those things are insane. I finally, it's sad that it was a dink, but I finally caught my white minnow. (laughs) He wasn't a whale, so I can't see my white whale. Carrie and I were out last weekend, and we've been actively trying. We've been, people are very cagey around here where they catch this fish, and they'll block out the backgrounds, and they're not honest. I've seen YouTube videos. I'm looking at backgrounds. That may be over off of Academy. No, that looks maybe. The elusive peacock. We were out in the normal the, the normal lake I always fish, the one that has the water plant, Bat Bridge, the place that during spawning season I was pulling in those two to three, four-pound fish one after the other with my, my Guggen revolver. And Carrie's talking about, like, we're throwing worms, nothing's hitting. I'm trying chatterbait down in the deep depths of the five-foot area. <laughs> and... um so I head over to where the water plant is. It's just a little miniature place where they suck water in because because it's there, they dug it down and it goes from it literally goes from one feet down to eight feet. So there's a shelf. 
But Carrie's talking about like when we first started fishing, we were pulling fish all the time in the hot summer. And I was like, ah, it's because we were fishing with generic ass Strike King red lip crankbaits from Walmart. <laughs> so I got my generic red, my red shrimp looking uh, Strike King crankbait from Walmart, put it on there, and I'm casting. And I'm close to the dock, but perpendicular with where that shelf is. And I get a hit and I put in, it's fighting weird. And I got uh, purely luck. Because by the time I got him above my kayak, I just posted the video today, he falls off. The only reason I got him into my kayak, it was the rear treble hooks caught him underneath the, underneath the gill and the neck, underneath the gill. The hook was no longer in his mouth. So when I pulled him up, he shook and fell on my boat. And I'm looking at him, and it's a juvenile. And so doesn't have the red flared front, don't have the lump on head. And I'm looking at the front half, and now I understand why they call them peacock bass. Because when they're younger, the front half looks like a bass. But I'm looking at this thing, and it has three vertical green stripes, and it has the elusive yellow eye on the tail and a little bit of red bottom. I'm, looking at, I'm like, is this thing a peacock bass? And so he's flipping in my boat because they're aggressive, and I, and I get him, and I reach around to get my <laughs> lip locks because I want to lip him on lips so I can get a good, good look at this thing. And so I hold him at my camera. I'm like, this thing looks like a, a peacock, and he shakes and flips out of my hand. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of time to investigate. And I was just like, I don't know. I haven't seen one in real life. It looked like a peacock, but it didn't have the. But I got on my phone and Google. I was like, I'm going to Google juvenile. And so juvenile butterfly, juvenile butterfly peacock bass came up. And at that point, I was 60%. But I'm like, it's not a big deal to catch a peacock bass. But if you live down here and you've always wanted to catch one, you don't want to announce to the world you caught one and someone say, hey, stupid, that's a fucking cichlid. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, right. you want to cover your grounds. <laughs> And so I sent the picture of it to Mike, which I didn't have a picture for my camera. I had to grab a still frame off my GoPro, and my hand was the way I was holding it. My hand was to the camera, so you couldn't get a, you couldn't see the whole damn thing, sadly. But you could see the stripes in the tail. And I just sent one to Mike, and I said, "Is this what I think it is?" Didn't didn't, didn't mention the word peacock bass. And then I sent it to four other people. Didn't even say anything. I just sent them the photo, and now every one of them came back and said, "Yep, that, wow, you caught your peacock bass." So. Long story short, I finally caught one. He was not even, he may have been a little under half a pound, but I'm just finally happy. And I'm more excited to know that they're in my regular lake and they're new. So they're just going to continue to get bigger and more prolific. And so hopefully maybe by next season, I'll be pulling some nice two pounders out of there. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, our goal. Uh, Me and Tim and the old lady and everybody, we're going to make our way down there for ICAST 24. Nice. Um, in July, and that's my one goal while I'm there is to catch a couple peacock bass. Well, see, my ex brother in law, he knows where they're all at. He he's he's the type of guy who mutes out the background. He's, he gets the big ones. Only place he'll tell me he won't tell me the local spots. Like I'll take you down the Everglades. We got to wade through about a thousand yards of waist deep water with the alligators, but I'll take you down there. Which I'm not. I'm fine. Let's do it. But we can just never arrange it. And so yeah. I finally caught one on my own. But he is swampy peacock johnny swampy peacock he actually catches them from down south and he brought a few of them up here in cape and threw them in the lakes in the canal so he's kind of like seeing areas with them so but they are officially in northeast cape now so i'm excited for that you know then there's nothing wrong with that i'll be honest out here fishing my local lake if i catch you know i'm out pre-fishing or just normally fishing and i go out and i catch a good run of bass i'm gonna release them in camelot where i live in the water there because when it comes time, like, you know, me and the old lady go down, we go fishing down there from the bank still. I still fish in the bank all the time. 
And, uh, you know, it leaves good fish in the area to catch, stuff like that. And I'll be honest, come tournament day, that's going to be my first stop. <laughs> well, not only that, but in the case of the peacock, we brought them down here because we were overran with tilapia and Mayan cichlids. They're just all over the place. And so they brought the peacocks in to try to eat them to help clear them out. I mean, yeah. they're not worried about them eating the baby bass. We have so many bass down here. You know what our daily limit on bass is down here? Uh-uh. What's your daily limit on bass up there? Um, depending on where you are, it's small mouth is two, large mouth is five, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I think the large mouth might even be less than that. I think ours is six large mouth and one over 16 inches a day because yeah. <laughs> we have so many of them down here. One over 16 inches? And then what it is, Mike, you can do one over 16 inches or like five or six below. I think that sounds right. Yeah. I haven't officially looked into that. I don't. I don't keep track because I don't keep. I'm a. I'm a catch all, and release guy, so I don't yeah. pay attention yeah. to it. But I was I talking to a couple of guys. Too. They had stringers. Like, yeah, we got our six for the day. <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, up here, um, a keeper has to be 15 inches, unless it's a Kentucky, in which case it's uh, 12 inches. Yeah, it's but, just. It's just so weird that we don't have a bass season down here. It's weird when i'm reminded oh i can't yeah it's not bass season yet oh yeah okay you guys should have bass season all year round that's what i'm saying we don't have a bass season and so when i talk to people who live in other states like yeah i can't wait for bass season to start like, oh that's a thing that's right we can go fish for me around down here yeah oh yeah that that don't stop me up here in the cold don't think that mid-january february i'm not going to be sitting in 60 feet of water dragging a jig 40 feet below me to catch a big ass bass because I'll do it. <laughs> I and I'll look homeless with 12 layers of clothes doing it. I could care less. One of the things <laughs> that hooked me on fishing down here is I grew up in Kentucky and Ohio. Like I said, when I was in sixth grade, my dad, no, when I was in elementary school, my dad got like an old, old 50s, just basic fiberglass boat, older than shit, had two bench seats in it and like an old, old motor on it. And we fished and didn't catch none. And then he got a pontoon boat. We'd go out in the middle of the night. We're fishing for, uh, walleye and everything else and we're using minnows and this and that and the only thing we ever caught were catfish i think i caught a walleye in the we went to lake erie he took the boat up there him and my brother got lost out on lake erie i stayed at the condo and was fishing in the canal out back and caught a nice long walleye but um we ne we always just struck out and then down here i bought a used kayak off a buddy of mine who had it sitting in his yard for two years and i just told around on my YouTube channel. And then I think I asked on TikTok, I found a bunch of lily pads. I'm like, hey, should I think there's any bass down here? And people are like, yeah. So I went to Walmart, got a $30 Ozark Trail real real pole combo and a bag of worms. And I went out and I caught like five dinks in one day. <laughs> now, dinks are dinks, but being somebody who fished for off and on for 10, 15 years in Kentucky and like, I'm going bass fishing. Catch any bass today? No, all bluegill. So the fact that I'm going down here and pulling in five bass in one day, it's that's all you catch. It's like we go yeah. out and we'll go out maybe two months in a row and you might pull in one mine cichlid or one tilapia, but I'll literally, because we don't fish cut bait, I'm not pulling in catfish. I occasionally might get a gar that bites on a crankbait, but usually they fall off by the time I, by the time I get them to my boat. I think I've actually only had to de-hook two of them and we've caught like two turtles, but we have so many damn bass down here. If you fish with artificial you're almost guaranteed to bring in nothing but bass. And it's crazy being from from Kentucky and Ohio where, like, bass were, especially as a kid, like, I went bass fishing, and you never caught a damn thing but bluegill. See, all I'm hearing right now is I need to make an excuse besides ICAST to come spend a week in Florida. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, just um, wait until about spawn season. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And out here spawn season, that's, so that's the other thing too. Um, smallmouth out here in Lake of the Ozarks, they don't go to the lake. So they spawn, um, and run up rivers from the lake. So they'll come back to the lake before the water levels recede and they'll stay in the little channels right there at the, the riverheads. And they'll sit there all winter long and wait. And then as they, they'll spawn and as the water level rises up, they'll shoot down the rivers and channels and it, it's, it's good, good stuff. And see so here one- we have all our canals are interlocking, but they're locked off until they use Cause it's all flood control. And so basically that bass is captive audience. So if people don't keep their big bass, hypothetically, they should stay in there, but people keep the damn things. But be, And so I don't know if the peacock that I caught grew up in that water system or if it got transported there during um, the last couple of storms we've had where they're opening up the fl- the spillways and it got pulled in from another canal. But I'm just happy he's there. So, But yeah. Right. Well, when there's one, there's got to be more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to hit up that spot maybe next time I'm out there with a rooster tail. And I heard they like the Z-Man um, shads. Have you fished with those? The razor shads? Yeah, they look like super flukes, but they don't sink like super flukes. They're more like, they're kind yeah, of like a top it's, water. It's a, yeah. It's a floating plastisol, yeah. Um, and, you know, those things aren't bad. Um, it's got a weight on the back of it, and it's kind of a, it's unique. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's definitely original. Um. But I'll be honest, man, if you want to catch a shit ton of fish instead of getting something exotic and weird, get yourself a four or a five inch spook with a good rattle in it and just learn how to work the spook to where it jerks back and forth. Walking that dog. Yeah, you you can walk that thing and they will hit it all day. Yeah, jaywalkers, spooks, anything like that. Or do you know what uh do you know what a donkey rig is? No. Um you can Google it when we're done, but essentially it's uh, like a soft plastic jerk, like, like a fluke. But you uh, run a swivel in line and run two of them, one with the leader at 12 inches, one with the leader at 15 inches, or however you want to run it. And you work it just like a jerk bait. But when you're going through the water and you jerk it, they cross over each other and it, it looks, looks like, like a, a bunch of bait fish running. That's one, use- one of my secret favorite ones. That we use something similar to that, like a, I, I like to call it like a high-low rig, where you've got you know your one, um, probably eighteen twenty inches, a little bit higher than than the back one. You use that salt water a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Let's well, go... so no, this one, though, it's it's not on the same line, and yeah. there's a swivel on two separate lines, two separate, so they yeah they cross yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. Do you do do you fish with swivels regularly? Not at all. Not unless the lure I'm using comes with it, or that's basically it. Yeah, I mean I, the donkey rig, the only one that I buy them specifically for. Granted, I've only fished up north once in the last 24 years, but as a kid up in Ohio, Kentucky, swivels was the thing. Everybody had swivels on, and like we well, have to do probably throw them rooster tails every day. Well, down here it's just you just tie. I'm just tying on all the time. I don't use the, the, the snap swivels, but I, I would see them up there all the time. I, for kids, it makes sense because it's just easier to switch baits and all that. But yeah, Now, what I do use in not a tournament setting, um, I'll use number one snaps. They don't have a swivel on them, just the snaps themselves. <laughs> and I'll tie the snap to the end of the line because, like you, if I'm just out pleasure fishing, I'm an ADD kid. If I throw something for five minutes and there's no bites, I'm throwing something else. So I got three poles. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I go down and I go fishing when we go and take the truck down, and I've got seven poles lined up in the back of the truck ready to throw every one of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Dan does that. You'll see him double casting and using the uh, the um, drag reels, the reel on <laughs> both hands on TikTok. He, he, oh, yeah. He yeah. double fishes. Um, back to the tournaments real quick. We are talking right. about how the co-angler – being mismatched with a random angler helps prevent cheating. Um, one of the downsides and the negative aspect, you could consider it kind of ironic. It's sad, but and that is the unintentional fish kill. We mm-hmm. have the fish bags, try to keep them in water as long as we can, but stress and all that, there's just, there's going to be fish kill. I've only seen it once and I don't, and I don't watch a whole hell of a lot of them on TV, but I was watching a, um, a Bassmasters tournament, I think, last year. And I noticed something I had never noticed before. They had three guys in the pro boats. They had the cameraman, the angler, and a referee. What, yep. And that, that was cool because the referee would sit there, they'd pull the fish out of the water, they'd weigh it, they'd measure it, put it right back in the water. No live well time, no fish bags, no weighing. It was instantaneous, and then the official would automatically log it right then and there. So not only that, but now you have real-time stats. Like, yeah, oh, but more now, important than real time stats. MLF, I thought MLF did stuff like that too. Like I said, I I, now, I don't the, watch a lot of them. So this one, I they, think they on the pro tour, right? Yeah, that, yeah, on the pro tour they do on occasion stuff like that. But um, now they have something that it's called the fish lung. Um, it's something you put in your live well, not not a liquid. It's actually like a bubbler. So say, for instance, you like the old fish tank bubblers where yeah. you'd put it in there and it had the sandstone and a million bubbles came out. Mm-hmm. Same thing on a larger scale. So instead of just relying on the water being circulated to aerate the, the water for them, it actually aerates it with millions of little bubbles throughout the entire time. You can circulate the water. You can add the additives. It's a lot better for the fish. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a fish kill off to a certain extent. I mean, of course there is at all of them. I think the sales were off about 5%. Maybe a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, well, the MLF prides themselves on taking care of the fish. So even after the weigh-in, the ones that don't look the best, they'll throw them in a separate tank up front with the fish lung and all the additives to make sure that they're brought back before they're released and everything else. The only time I've ever really seen a large kill-off is these high school tournaments they have now. Mm-hmm. The and local regional stuff that doesn't have the back-end for the equipment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Those would be so. the nice ones to get volunteers, the actors, referees. I mean, because oh, yeah. everybody has a tape measure scale on a cell phone. Yeah, I wish that they would do something like that as well, or even do a three fish limit, you know, something a little different. Well, but they also are on that, a lot more fish are dying, and this is just my opinion, because all of the electronics nowadays mm-hmm. that people have to have to fish. Yeah. Like you look back 20 years ago, you had a fish finder, you had a pole and you had a trailing hook. And the fish finder's primary go- goal was just to tell you how deep the water is. So you didn't drag your prop because they didn't exactly. do a whole gr- lot of fish finding. Well, and, and now you've got guys out there with five transducers. Off scope. The front. Yeah. Side scan, down scan, active yep. imaging, 3d radar, <laughs> sonar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They go on fish during Saturday and they come back on Sunday with the cops to show them where the fucking car that they've been looking for for 30 years is at because they just found it on <laughs> right? the scope. But, and you know, for people like me who spent half their life just learning the water to be able to catch fish, 
I think it takes all the sport out of it because you can literally roll up. The 360 will tell you what direction the fish are in. You face your live scope that direction, and you can watch your lure drop directly in front of their mouth. You can see if they like it, they don't like it, what makes them tick, and it makes them that much easier to catch. I don't feel that a sport that you have to have that many electronics to be competitive in is an elite sport at all. I, I think it's ruining the sport, but at the same time, I have to use it to compete as well. And that's a require. That's a requirement in the league. No, not at all. No, I but if you want to remotely have a level playing field, okay. you got to have at least something on the boat. Yeah. Well, and, and or if you're thing. a co-angler, you don't have a choice of what the captain's going to have. It's his boat. Exactly. Exactly. But if they limited it to say like one transducer up front, so you had the choice whether you had 360 or you had live scope or down scan, side scan, whatever you wanted. Yeah. I think that would put more of the challenge back into it that's why the the viewership for it's gone such downhill Every, it's like everybody's watching them play a video game they stare at a screen all day there's no wonder left in it only well, problem that's... with that is is the sponsorships garmin Lawrence, hummingbird they would all like fuck you <laughs> we're, we're pulling well, our, that's we're pulling that's our what's off. that's what's for i watch uh guggen squad a lot and i watch a lot of like um uh, one of their guys, John B, and he goes out there and he's got his active imaging. He's got his 360. He's got all this shit. And, you know, he's he's not even paying attention to what's going on around him. He's staring right. at that damn screen the whole time, whether he's crappie fishing, whether he's, you know, small mouth, large mouth. It doesn't matter. He's staring at that. You can see your damn lure down at the bottom. And you're watching, you know, the fish literally like they come up to it and, you know, oh, they, they swim off. They don't like that one. So come up, use something different, put it back down. And it's like, yep. that's not that takes like all the fun out of it. It's kind of like the equivalent of having deer feeders right below your, your tree stand. Yep. Well, and what's funny yeah. is another pro angler, um, Randy Blaucat, he made that same comparison on one of his youtube videos and people went nuts oh, saying sure. that it wasn't even the same everything else but but it is it's no different than spotlighting deer at night it's the same thing yeah because you're, you're well let me ask you this sponsorship aside we see this in uh car racing you have the vintage car racing series where okay we're only going to race cars between the years of you know 19 53 to 1969 they're going to have classes based on the engine size and it is you're racing with the exception of maybe the personal protection device you know the fire suits and the neck braces but like the rest of it it's you're racing it as it is i wonder if in the future we're going to have vintage fishing tournaments where it's you can have this basic bitch garmin striker four fish finder <laughs> and i uh you know a 25 horse motor and maybe a, a nine and a half volt trolling motor. But the right, rest yeah. of it, introduce it as like a different kind of series, like having, um, yeah. you know, like, Oh, you know, no electronics or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. you get, like you were saying, like one transducer up front and that's what you get. Make your best choice. You know, exactly, introduce yeah. it as a different kind of series. Yeah. Well, and it's not even so much that they're going to introduce it as a different series. There's, Honestly, a movement coming behind the feeling of electronics taking everything out of the sport. Right. Now, yes, Lawrence and Garmin might have something to say about it, everything else. But, I mean, Lawrence and Garmin aren't paying for everything. The viewers, the people watching, every, that, 
what they want usually is, is what happens. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying that it, they won't watch it because it's boring. They'll yeah, look at yeah. the stats on everything and the standings at the end, and that's it. You want to impress me? I want to see a cane pole fishing tournament, you son of a bitch. Cane pole right. night crawlers. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, but we yeah, actually I, had cane poles at that trailer down on the river. <laughs> and I mean, like, like me, I'm setting myself, I guess, what you would call with a disadvantage going into next season, but that's because. I have the skills it takes to be elite without all that bullshit. So yes, I'll have the the HDS twelve. I'll have live target. I won't have three sixty any of that shit on my dash back at the console. I'll have my GPS, my down, and my side scan. But when I'm standing there fishing, I'm gonna read the water like a normal fisherman, face yeah. my transmitter that way, and fish. You know, it's. That's the way it is, and I know I'll be successful that way. And that's sad yeah. because ninety, not ninety, I take that back. At least half of the people that claim to be professional fishermen today, if you limit their electronics, they won't even be in the top thousand. Couldn't do it. No, yeah. not not a chance in hell. Because there is, well, I don't know so much on the newest, latest models, but once again, like on your Striker Four and your low, your low cost models, there is an art to reading a fish finder. 100%. But as well, I call it the redneck live scope. If you have a Garmin Striker 4, that's what I have on my kayak. That's what I got. You put it on split screen, you mm-hmm. put it on 360 view and down scan. That 360 view is going to tell you what direction the fish are, and that down scan is going to tell you how many feet and how far out. I'll have to figure out the 360 view. Maybe that's why I, I have the A scope and the side, side imaging, but I can never figure out where exactly they're at. Yeah, so it'll tell you what direction to throw, and then your down scan will tell you it's 30 feet away, 14 feet down. Nice. So, I mean, if, if you know how to read basic electronics, even you could be successful out there. It's just a matter of, I think it's a little overkill. I mean, what's next? Are they going to be able to tell the sex of the fish and the weight? First off, who are you to Probably. know what a fish's <laughs> sexual orientation is and what their pronouns are, sir? <laughs> How dare you? You're right. I think you, you need to apologize to the fish community. <laughs> uh, we laugh, but we're, we're, we're almost there. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm just glad that the fishing community hasn't turned that direction yet. Yeah. Knock well, on wood. Well, but then again, the people who are in the other community are the same people that assume that I don't need to see a picture of you and a dead fish. First off, right. asshole, I don't post pictures of the dead ones. Every picture you see me holding a fish, that fucker's alive when I put it back in there. I'm a catch and leave. How dare you assume that my fish is dead? <laughs> but anyhow. Oh, so, yeah, that's the wonderful world of fishing. So, um, any, did you, before we wrap it up, back to the insanity of your fishing tournament, did you see any borderline acts of external voicing or of one's displeasure of another boat, like where people oh, yeah. like getting pissed, like get the fuck out of here. or You almost yeah, hit my boat or you cross my line. Well, everybody was annoyed at certain points because you'd pull up on a spot. There's three college kids and you know, they have attitude and you're fishing the MLF and a pro series. Well, college kids have also been drinking for the last five hours. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there was attitude and glares and, other things. I mean, even me, towards the end of the day, the last 45 minutes, 
he was still blocking me in a corner to where I couldn't cast. And I yelled at the kid. I told him, I said, if you don't move this fucking boat up to where I can be successful, I'm going to throw you in the water and move it myself. <laughs> and he moved it. And I fished that last little bit of time. And I didn't have enough time to catch up. But Joke's on you. Know, you. I got GPS-controlled trawler motor. I'll just hit the button and it'll circle back and get me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ladies Too and gentlemen, smart. that is a thing. <laughs> you can now put your boat in at the ramp and your trolling motor will take your boat out and then you can go park your car and walk back and hit the button. And it'll, okay. it, it's they like, have the old town kayak will do the same thing. Yep. Yeah. I, I actually wanted one of those, you know, before you mentioned like the, the kayak to the bass boat jump for me, I was going to do the kayak league out here at first. I was going to buy one of those sportsmen I was just talking about. And I would have been happy with that, but that wasn't where my aspirations wanted me to go. Kayak and fishing I'm well is, on my way there. Well, kayak fishing is highly reliant on the type of water you have. If you're around lots of rivers, canals, or large streams, they're conducive. If you have large bodies of water, you're basically you're you're I think it's probably you, gonna you, limit you your have, Yeah. You have to have some kind of a, a, a propellant or, or, pro, pro, <laughs> propulsion system or something like that. Yeah, because the only it, reason we a large body of water. The only like, reason we I, covered I, so much ground at Lake Okeechobee is because Ron had a trolling motor on his c- canoe <laughs> and we hooked up static lines. He would just pull the two of us in our kayaks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we we hit Lake of the Ozarks all the time on the kayaks, and you know we'd go four or five miles in the big water. But then there'd be days where we'd go drop the kayaks in 10 miles upstream on the Niangua River. Yeah. And we'd float the Niangua River all the way back down, and it would be an amazing day. That's the oh, trip yeah. Mike and I are planning. We're going to try to do that with um, one of our rivers. Um, oh, which one is it? Um, Peace River. We're going to figure out where we can yeah. drop off, and then we're actually trying to do it over two days, which will be exciting because that means we're going to have to camp somewhere along the river in alligator territory, and that'll be a fun night of camping. But yeah, we're trying to make that happen in the wintertime. We're going to drop our kayaks and do a two-day fishing excursion down the Peace River here in southwest Florida. That sounds like a lot of fun, man. I mean, even out here, um, they have, I forget what it's called. It's some kind of achievement patch or club, but it's basically taking the Osage River all the way from Lake of the Ozarks down through to basically St. Louis. Um, it's 24 hours consecutively on a kayak if you don't stop. Nice. Like, it's it's brutal. I want to do that next season, like in the early spring before all the yahoos come back. Mm-hmm. I, right now, Lake of the Ozarks is peaceful. All the tourists that come for the season are gone. The water's back calm. It's not loud and obnoxious. It's It's home again. Back to yeah. fishing and money laundering. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Adam, oh, thank goodness. you for coming on. Real quick before we wrap it up, we want to pre- uh, thank everybody for their continued support of what we do here. If you want to help support us more, please head over to whatsinyourhead.com or d-410.com. Click on that Patreon link, sign up and subscribe. It's only a dollar a month. But I do hey, I do know we're inflation and everybody's got a lot of subscriptions. And uh, you can also help us just by going to YouTube and watching our videos. So look up Digital 410 on youtube go watch our fishing videos or our podcast you got the what's the scuttlebutt what's in your head fail to fail got my in the garage series and so there's plenty of content so if you just watch those videos that goes a long way to help what we do here 
Adam, where can people find you on the old internet? Um, right now, I am on TikTok at socialoutcast83, and I just started a YouTube channel called Misfit Fishing. Email me your uh, YouTube channel. We'll include it on the link for on the website for this video, and plus that way I can also subscribe to it as well. And seriously, Perfect. let me know uh, ahead of time if and when and where if you come to Florida next, and we'll try to maybe meet up somewhere and, and get out on the water. It'll be July this coming summer. We're going to go to ICAST, so we'll be out there then. Hell yeah. Mike, where can people find you? Uh, all over the place. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the newly reformed X, uh, at TYPB Mike. No reason to call it X when everybody, like all the, on X, formerly Twitter. Can we just fucking call it Twitter? But anyhow, that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> Thank you guys so much, <laughs> and we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>